Let's bow together in prayer, shall we? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You say, Father, that whoever speaks, let him speak, as it were, your utterances. Whoever serves, let him do so with the strength that you supply, so that in all things, You and you alone may be glorified, all of it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Unto him belongs the glory forever and ever. Father, you are the one who dwells in the heavens and works all things according to the counsel of your will. Known unto you, Father, are your works from the beginning of the world. And so, Lord, as we come before you this day, may we bow in our, the totality of our being unto you, the God, unto whom all will bow, unto whom all will confess. And, Father, as we do so this day, may we do so recognizing that you've called us to be a, a special people unto you, That you've called us, O Lord, that we should be they who are holy and righteous and devoted to the calling that you've set upon us. And so as your word is expounded, as you, Father, by your spirit, speak to us through the pages of holy writ. May we do so reverently. May we do so submissively. May we do so, Father in anticipation of the joys that lie before us in Christ Jesus. Bless, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. At this time, we will have the scripture reading out of Revelation chapters 10 and 11. Revelation 10. We will be going from verse 5 to verse 7 and then to chapter 11, verse 15 to 19. Let us hear the words of the living God. And the angel which I saw stood upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hands to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and forever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that were that there should be time no longer. 
But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall be kind, excuse me, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Chapter 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world has become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces. And worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants and prophets and to thy saints and them that fear thy name small and great and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth and the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple the ark of the testament and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail amen this morning We look at the Lord God omnipotent who reigns. You know, the God who is according to the imagination of hearts of men is not the God of Scripture. It is a false God. So frequently we have descriptions of God that are what I say, sub-biblical. In other words, they do not rise up to the description that God would give in his holy word. The scriptures would make it clear that the idols of mind and heart, such as denying or undercutting the omniscience, the omnipresence, the omnipotence, the eternity, the absolute sovereignty, the unchangeability, the holiness, the holy trinity, etc. of God are things that are really creating a God according to one's own imagination. No different, not really, from an idol. And so as we've been going through these few attributes of God that we've covered, and then today, 
understand the purpose is that we might worship the God of the Bible, the one true God, that we might know him, and that it begins by knowing of him here. And so, beloved, it is that we might be they who are not deceived and walk in darkness, but rather those who have the light of the Holy Scripture to direct us unto all truth. And so this morning I would like for us to consider the omnipotence of God. When you think of the omnipotence of God, that is, you know, we all know the song, or I guess it's a hymn perhaps. It's called El Shaddai. And when you hear that Hebrew word, you're thinking of God, indeed, who is all-powerful. He's called great and terrible in the book of Deuteronomy, whose face no human can see. Remember that with God speaking in Exodus 33 to Moses. No man can see my face and live. We can't forget, can we, the description in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his glory filled the temple. His train filled it out to the outer flowing parts. And the seraphim cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Beloved, when we think of God and all of his majesty and all of his glory, we must think of him in his power as well. And so when we think of the Lord in the New Testament, that word used, Lord. And speaking of Jesus Christ, and we think of the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Don't misunderstand what it's driving home to us. And that is, this is none other than the I Am, the Almighty. And he's called such. Revelation chapter 1, isn't he? Revelation 22. He is the first and the last who was, who is, who is to come, the Almighty. This is the one, the fullness of the Godhead. And we believe in him as Lord. And so when we think of this attribute of God, it's hard for us to fully grasp what this means. We know something of strength or power. And all of us have our own Strength, our own power. And we're dependent upon no one for it, are we? Of course we are. What do we have that we've not received? Do you know where our strength comes from? That which we have. It is of the Lord. Imagine of the Lord when he comes again just with a word. With a word like that. Everyone dealt with. How did he create? With a word. His will, the power of his will, as God who would decree, as God who would will, and the power of his being is there in his essence as God, who is the I am, who is self-existent, that his decree causes it to be so, that such is the power of God, and his decree can cause to cease as well. And so it is that power of God, the omnipotence of God, 
That is exalted as he is in the history of redemption through the scriptures. We've seen his power. Take for an example an illustration that comes from Exodus 14 and 15. All of you know the account. God brings Moses, leads him by the glory cloud. Remember? The glory cloud would lead them by day and the the burning presence of God by night through the wilderness. And here's all the nation of Israel behind Moses. And God leads them to the edge of the Red Sea. Mountains to this side, mountains to that side, and desert behind, and there's the army closing in and the sea right in front of them. Why did God bring them there? He wasn't lost. God omniscient, God all wise, and God all powerful. Why? To show them that they had nothing to contribute to this deliverance, that it was all of Him. And to show them his power was limitless when he causes the waters to part. And dry ground, not muddy, not wet, but dry ground. And he led them across, guarding the way with a fiery cloud between the Egyptians and they. They go across, and as he removes his barrier between the Egyptians and the Israelites, the Egyptians think they too can cross. You remember this. And you find that God brings, takes the wheels off of the chariots. Everything starts going haywire. And he closes in the waters of the Red Sea upon them. And they're all drowned. It says there was stuff's washing up on, on shore. And you hear in the song of Moses there, sung in Exodus 15, you see that God is a mighty warrior who has triumphed over the warrior and the sea. And we think, oh, what might, what power. And it is. But to God, it is small. We cannot fathom and we cannot exhaust the limitless power of God, omnipotent. In the New Testament, he's called the great king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord God almighty. And so when we think of this power of the sovereign, there is nothing beyond his ability. He can cause one to be born of a virgin. What in Jesus did these signs, remember, as he came as Messiah? Why did he walk on the water? Why did he walk upon the Sea of Galilee when it was stormy? Why did he raise the dead? Why did he perform these signs to show that he indeed is the one? Who is the Almighty incarnate? And so, Almighty in power, in might, yes, but also in authority. And so, the one who has no one beyond him or above him, he is the one who promises, makes covenant promises, and seals them in blood in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we have them recorded here in Scripture. And he leads us to the Scripture, and he says, here is what's on the horizon. Here's what awaits you. And I show you here in the book of Revelation, that which shall be. And he leads us ultimately to his majesty and his might on that occasion. You see, it is a comfort His mighty power is a comfort to his believers. But it is a cause of fear to his enemies, or shall be. As we here think of the omnipotence of God, 
Well, what limit would you like to try to set? Think of Job 38. We've looked at it before. God is creator, remember, when he talks about, you know, on that day when he brought all the the stars into existence and the sons of God sang for joy as he named them. And it says, you know, Orion's belt and all the constellations he brought out. Think of the vastness of space and all of this and think of the power involved and all of the things put in place where you have things like gravity and and we're trying to understand a lot of things we call it dark matter what in the world is that and we think of everything going on there and you say we here wrestle with just trying to describe what god is and what he does it says in romans chapter one that god has given evidence of his power and majesty in his creation and yet man, it says there in Romans 1, 18 and following, suppresses the truth and unrighteousness and would deny these things and would instead worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. And so when we think then of the omnipotence of God, beloved, it is quite simply that which renders us speechless and yet he enables us to speak. And so there are two things I'd like for us to consider with regard to God's power. And there is that which I've been describing, his absolute power. And then there's also that, his ordained power. The absolute power of God in his being and that which is untrammeled, unlimited in his power. The only thing God cannot do is that which would be contrary to his nature. Hebrews chapter 6, you've got it recorded there with God promising to Abraham. And it says there that when men make a covenant or an oath, they swear by one higher than themselves, greater than themselves. God could not swear by one greater than himself, so he swore by himself two things it brings up. Number one, God cannot lie. Why? See, he cannot, it says. Because he is holy. He is righteous, he is good, and you see, you have also the veracity of God or the truthfulness of God. And so when you put all of these things together, you recognize he cannot deny himself or deny his nature. And so God cannot lie, and furthermore, he cannot change. And so as he swore, you see, he swore by himself that he would accomplish what he had promised. You say, wow, that was great for Abraham. It's also great for you and me. Because it means those covenant promises that are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, that blood of the eternal covenant, everlasting covenant, which he sealed with his own blood that Hebrews 13, 20 talks about, that those are our promises and that God is able to accomplish and that God will not change. And so you see there, God's ordained power. They're applied in the salvation of his people. And so as you look at all the works of God and as you think of the revelation of God in scripture. He has absolute power over all things and yet he has ordained his power. To be applied in with regard to redemption. And so as we look at our text. And we see here in chapter 10 of Revelation. Verses 5 through 7, the sovereignty and omnipotence of God with regard to God's timetable. All of these attributes come together, as I said. God is eternal. 
We can read in, in the scriptures where it talks about from before the foundation of the world, God has decreed things. You say he has foreordained that he has set his electing love upon his people, that he is the one who has ordained all things to come out in a particular place, predestination, that he is the one who superintends over the whole process. And so when we're thinking of here God's timetable, remember Jesus Christ in Galatians 4. It says there in Galatians 4 that Jesus Christ came forth, born of a woman. When? In the fullness of time. Whose time? God's. Well, here as we look at this passage before us, it's talking about the end of the age. As we see here in this passage, it's talking about, in verses 5 through 7, it's talking about this decree that is declared by an angel. If we could look at the whole chapter, it's marvelous. If you read it in chapter 10, you have the angel of the Lord who comes with his face glowing like the, sh- like the sun, his voice like a lion. He sets one foot on the sea and one foot on land and holds up his hand to heaven and swears an oath by the creator of heaven and earth and everything that's in heaven and earth by God. And he declares what shall be. And what is it? That in the sounding of the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet, in the shout of this last angel, that all the mysteries of God that he's given through his, through his prophets throughout the ages, recorded here in scripture, shall be complete or fulfilled. And so as we look here, we see the glorious angel with his thunderous decree. God, again, binding by himself. This ministering spirit, whoever he is, swearing according to God's character and the truthfulness of his character, he swore by this creator. Think for a moment what he's getting at. The one who created, remember God in Genesis 1, it's, it's addressed to us, or for us, and it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. There is the will of God, the decree of God, and the power of God that brings forth that which he wills and he decrees and causes it to be so. That's power. Limitless power. And so when you're looking at the God who creates and everything involved in that creation and all of the powers or forces involved that are unseen also comes along with his decree. According to his infinite wisdom and infinite knowledge, he designs and he causes and he creates and he sustains. It says over in Hebrews chapter 1, for example, again about Jesus the Christ. In verse 3, think of this in the power of Jesus Christ. It talks about him, he says, there in that chapter 1 of Hebrews, read it, especially 8 through 13. And you see there it says, therefore God thy God hath anointed thee. Wait a minute. God thy God hath anointed thee? Anointed meaning the word we get our word Christ from. And so here we've got two persons of the Godhead we're talking about. And so no wonder in chapter 1 verse 3 of Hebrews it says that Jesus Christ upholds all things, speaking of all creation, thinking of the farthest reaches of the universe, thinking of heaven, thinking of all the angels, thinking of you 
and me and everything that we know that exists. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Our Lord. And so when we think then, the one who is creator, described in Hebrews 11.3, remember it says, By faith we know that the world that, that was created was created out of nothing. God didn't need other things to work with. You know, you and I, if we're going to build something, we need materials. But God called, created ex nihilo. In other words, out of nothing, he created all that exists. And scientists, you know, talk about matter, the stuff that exists. You know, no matter how small, no matter how tiny it might be, something out there that is eternal. Looking for some excuse, some way to describe the creation other than God causing it to causing it to be out of nothing. And so when we think of this creator, this is the one who has the power as he comes here, as it describes. He's the one who has declared through this angel, this oath, that in the sounding of the final trumpet, all the mysteries of God to be fulfilled. How can he do all of that? Any of you ever uh, read through any books on how many of the prophecies of God or promises of God or covenant uh, things of God are given in the Old Testament? How many of those converged and came together when Jesus Christ came in his first coming? Imagine all of that being brought Everything that wasn't fulfilled in the first coming, you know, it was brought to, it was sealed and, and confirmed and type and shadow and everything found its reality in Jesus' first coming. But you see, the ultimate consummation of it all is in his second coming. And so you see here, think and imagine all these promises of God, every jot and tittle complete, filled overflowing at his second coming. And God does it. Wow, can you do that? You bet. And that's what this is telling us. That all of it will be done at that time. And so when we think then of the idea of God performing these matters, the mystery of God, think of the eternal purpose and plan of God fulfilled. That which was declared from eternity. You read Acts chapter 17 verse 26. And it talks about all the, the kingdoms of this world. And the, and the rise and fall of empires. And the boundaries of where peoples would stay. It says that all of this was decreed by God. And he's the one who set the limits and caused the times to change. He did. The sovereignty of God according to his power. He's the one who has declared the end from the beginning. And so here is the eternal one who is also by his providence causing these things to be, to be so. Omniscient in all matters. And sovereignly working all the details to their conclusion. You see, we don't have that kind of power. We'll look in a moment at what it applies to. And furthermore. As we see here, he comes with two purposes in mind. There are basically two ends, by that I mean goals or conclusions, that he deals with. 
Those who are his redeemed and those who are his enemies. These are the two categories of those who are dealt with. And so I'd like for us to look now at chapter 11 and consider God Almighty in grace and justice. God Almighty in grace and justice. In verse 15, it says, The seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. It doubles up. That's the emphatic way of saying it, remember. Forever and ever. And so when we're considering this, look at the matter of the completion of God's promises and prophecies in Christ. The last trumpet. All of you know 1 Corinthians 15 well, and we're going to ask you to turn there quickly and briefly. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it is the resurrection chapter. It is that which is um, known by many people here. If you look at verse 24 and following, it comes, it says, uh, in verse 22, it says, In Christ, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all will be made alive. Each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. So the last enemy that will be destroyed, it says, is death. If you look over and keep there in that chapter, now go to verses 50 to 55. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, what we're just talking about, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, we shall all, but we all shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So you see, beloved, it is at the sounding of this seventh trump when death itself shall be no more. So when we look then, did you notice in verse 24, it says it's at this time the Son delivers up the kingdom to the Father and then he is all in all. You all know the Bible well. Let me give you the Bible in a nutshell. You ready? It'll be brief. Beginning in Genesis 3.15, the fall takes place, remember? And God gives that promise, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. In that process, the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. 
And so here, there's the issue, the problem, the sin and the serpent that came into this world. Christ will come, be born and crush it. You go over to John chapter 12, write down 12, 31 to 33. Christ says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. That was at his first coming. He said, if the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all peoples unto himself. Salvation in the cross. Colossians 2, 14 and 15. They're describing the cross where there at the cross, all of our sin and our debt was nailed to that cross. And it says that Christ, what did he do? Disarmed the principalities and powers, put them to open shame, and triumphed triumphed over them in that cross of Jesus Christ. And it says in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom must go to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18, all authority given unto me in heaven and earth, therefore go make disciples of all nations. You know the whole thing, and he said, I'll be with you always, when? Even unto the end of the age. The power of God causing it to be so. The grace of God going forth, calling his people out. There are wheat and there are tares. The tares at the end of the age are gathered up and burned. The wheat are gathered into his barn, though. And so when you think of 2 Thessalonians 2, please write it down. 2 Thessalonians 2, you see the power of God causing this to be importantly concluded. Here as we look at Revelation, again, chapter 11. Who is on the scene during that end of the age, that tribulational time? Who comes on the scene at that end? But one we call the beast in Revelation or called Antichrist most popularly. And it says it is given unto him by the Lord to overcome the saints. To even persecute and even martyr many. The Lord allows that. But it doesn't happen. Remember 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 7. It says, don't let anyone fool you with our gathering together to him. It says they won't occur until first the man of sin, this Antichrist, comes on the scene. And all of these lying miracles and all of the things that happen. But it says something else. It says the one preventing him from coming on the scene is, here's the hand of the Lord, the invisible hand. He who prevents will prevent until he's removed out of the way. God is the one who prevents him from coming on the scene. How many times have you heard people talk about the devil as though he's all powerful? What is it saying? This demonic activity, this person cannot do anything unless God should remove his hand and allow him to go forward for a short time. But then what happens? What it describes here in chapter 11. Look with me again, Revelation 11. They praise God for everything. Verse 17, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty. The one who is, who was, who is to come because you have taken your great power and reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged that you should reward your servants, the prophets, the saints, 
those who fear your name small and great, and destroy those who destroy the earth. It covers a lot of territory in just two verses, doesn't it? When the Lord comes, read Matthew 25, Jesus talking about this. He says, you know, on the day that he comes, he says he'll separate people like sheep and goats. And it talks about rewarding. He'll say those who have been faithful unto him and those who have, you know, by his spirit done these things that have glorified him, done all things as unto the Lord, like the scripture would say. Those who have been faithful in spite of persecution, those who have followed him even unto the death. He says, these, these are the ones who enter into his glorious joy. But he says, those who have destroyed the earth here is the way they're described. These are the ones that are cast into outer darkness and fiery torment where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing in teeth forever. And so the Lord's power causes this to be so. Let me just get to some practical things quickly. It says the wrath of men came. If there's anything we know in this world is that you and I, as Christians, more and more are surrounded by a people who are hostile to Christianity. Let me put it in other terms. People who are anti-Christ. And so when we think then of these matters, we're tempted to be afraid. We're tempted to look at it and say they have all the reins of power, perhaps, or or something that you say, well, it seems like everything's going wrong against us or whatever. What is the temptation but to despair? And what we should be doing is looking at here what the scripture says, that the wrath of man came. But you see, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And God is the one who limits their touch on us. Let me illustrate it with a man you all know of, Job. Remember, Job is the account is given to us in the scriptures. Remember, God spoke to the devil going around. You know, and he comes before the Lord and he says, If you consider my servant Job, what does the Lord, what does the, uh, the devil say to the Lord? And he says, Well, you put a hedge around him. I can't get at him. And so he, you know the whole account, how he allows him to do certain things to him. But even in allowing the suffering and the trial and the tribulation of Job, none of it was allowed beyond where God said, decreed, could be so. And so the call of the Lord here, and the reason he gives us this is that God has not weakened. God is all-powerful. God is sovereignly ruling from heaven itself. And there is a day coming in which the Lord will tread the winepress of the wrath of God. There is a day of accounting, a day of judgment. And the sovereignty and the holiness, the justice, the power of God, the omniscience of God, the wisdom of God, all of it will be exalted. And it says here, the saints will be rewarded. Reminded of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. 
where the Lord calls these people in these churches. Remember, there are seven churches representative of the church throughout the age. And he talks to those at Smyrna. Remember, these are the ones facing persecution. What does the Lord say? Be faithful unto death. And I will give you a crown of life. He says to others, you know, that have these various problems. Maybe it's lukewarmness. Maybe they've lost their first love. And he calls to repentance and he says, to love as you did before, to recognize his riches that are in heaven and to seek him in his glories. And he promises things like we will be those who will dwell in his temple. We will be the ones who receive a white stone. That means to say innocent, justified, that we are the ones that are rewarded, in other words. Now let me bring up something as we conclude. And we think of God and his attributes of how his power can perform this, no matter what it seems like is occurring. As you think of those who would oppose us in Christianity, there are those within the church who oppose God's sovereignty. And we call into question God's goodness. Or we call into question, let me read a couple. They say God cannot control everything. There's a certain unpredictability in everything that goes on. How many of you would love to worship a God like that? Unpredictable. This is the one who has all things firmly in hand. This is the one that says even the lot cast in the lap, every decision lies with the Lord. This is the one who says he's numbered the very hairs on our head. No, no. There's nothing unpredictable. Another that talks about God and and his omnipotence. It says, well... We are autonomous creatures, and that limits the exercise of God's power. You see, beloved, as the scripture would present God's sovereignty and God's omnipotence, that's an anchor of the soul, that God is the one who controls all things according to the counsel of his will. And that God is the one who has the power to transform and to change. And if he's led us through things that we would not desire firsthand that we are to approach it in the way God would have us to do so. What does he reward? Well, he rewards the very gifts that he gives us, doesn't he? As I mentioned the verse out of 1 Corinthians, you know, what do we have that we've not received? And yet God in his grace, in his redemption, in his deliverance, He is the one who, by his grace, would reward us nevertheless. And so as we think of these matters, let me conclude with this. The book of Revelation was given for our encouragement. It was given for us to get to recognize that as we look at the circumstances of this life and this world, that we're to look at them through the grid of the faith once for all delivered to the saints, of the power of God in Jesus Christ, that all the promises of God made in him, and that our lives are lived for him. And so as we consider the things that we find here in the book of Revelation,
It is for his kingdom and his righteousness above all that we are to live. You see, there are many who would have a view, as I said earlier, of a God who is simply unable to help. Or a God who's not interested. Or a God who can, we, we trust he's, he's got a good track record, maybe he can help us. These are quotes out of some of the things people have said. And all of us says no. Nothing can touch me that my God has not ordained shall be. Even the army is coming against Jerusalem, for example. At the end of the age, I'll give you an example. Revelation chapter 17, verse 17. It says, God has put it within their hearts to fulfill his will. Even though they are doing that which is harmful, they're coming here and God's gathering together them in this great place called Armageddon. And it says, as it describes here in these, the last verse that we read about the earthquake and about the lightning and the thunder and the hail that falls. It describes there how God will cause hail to fall like a hundred pounds apiece, peppering like bullets, shotgun patterns across the whole place. That God will destroy the enemies of, the, of his enemies and he will catch us up out of the way. As he pours out this wrath on them. And he brings it all to a final assize. Until all of these are are slaughtered that are against the Lord. Their armies are gathered together to fight the Lord. And it says the Lord comes and it says they said hide us from the great wrath of the Lamb. The sky rose up like a scroll. Such an earthquake, every mountain is moved out of its place. Every island moved out, brought low out of its place. Because the power and presence of God has come. And it says they hide in behind the rocks and in caves. Saying, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. There's the power and presence of God. But you see, that power and presence of God is for us. Is our refuge is our fortress, is our deliverance. And so the Lord says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, inasmuch as you know your labor. You know your labor is not in vain with the Lord. Why? Because the Lord God omnipotent reigns. May God cause our souls to be fortified and strengthened against temptation and fear. And instead give us a holy boldness and courage that would declare to the enemies of the cross the blood of the Lamb and life eternal in Him alone. May God grant us the grace for it. Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? Oh, righteous Father, it is you that has been declared and preached to us through your word for all the promises of God, of you, O God, are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And it is him 
that you gave a name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee and every tongue, not just some, but every. So we pray that we would take heed and be those who are strengthened by what we've heard, what we've read, that we would not be in any kind of fear, but be in faith and be hopeful and rejoice that you are the one that is victorious, that all things are under your control and in your guidance. And so we pray that we would have a peace because of all of that that surpasses all comprehension and that you might guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, the one in whom our tongue confesses and our knee bows. In Jesus' name, amen. Now receive the benediction of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.